KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, January 11th. Efforts to bring a four-year university to the South Bay. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Governor Newsom wants to patch a projected shortfall in the state budget through a mix of cuts, spending delays, and shifts in how projects are paid for. One thing he doesn't plan to do yet is dip into the state's rainy day fund, which could cover the expected $22 billion budget deficit. He says he's committed to funding major priorities in social services, such as universal pre-K by 2025 and expanded health care for undocumented immigrants. We are protecting the most vulnerable Californians, despite uh, the situational challenge. Most of Newsom's budget cuts would come from climate programs. The first round of new green bins and kitchen pails will be delivered today as part of the City of San Diego's new organic waste recycling program. Residents living in Mount Hope and Logan Heights will be the first to get their bins. The city will collect organic waste from the new green bins weekly. It will be taken to the Miramar Greenery, where it will be composted. The rollout will continue over the next few months. SDG&E is making $1 million available for those struggling with higher bills. The announcement comes as customers are seeing a huge spike in their bills this month because of rising natural gas prices. To qualify, you must be experiencing serious illness, temporary unemployment, disability, or unusual hardship. Those who qualify can get up to $300 to help with past due bills. To apply, call 211. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Weather forecasts for yesterday had the city of San Diego getting up to an inch of rain, but the forecast was off. KPBS reporter John Carroll looked into how the Weather Service forecasts where atmospheric rivers will hit and how much rain they'll drop. High winds forecast for San Diego showed up on Tuesday, but the amount of rain forecast appears to be off. National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy says corridors that atmospheric rivers are found in can be very narrow. 50 to 60 miles can make all the difference in how much rain falls where. But Tardy says California scientists are now taking a page out of their East Coast counterparts' playbook, the ones that fly planes into hurricanes. 
That's now happening here with atmospheric rivers. And the end result will be what you're talking about, better data, a more precise forecasting with higher confidence and longer lead time. More lead time to help Californians prepare for anything from torrential flood-inducing rain to just a few scattered showers. John Carroll, KPBS News. History was made at the County Board of Supervisors meeting yesterday when Supervisor Nora Vargas became chair of the governing body. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn says she is now the first Latina and immigrant to lead the board. Nora Vargas replaces Supervisor Nathan Fletcher, who was chair for two terms. Last month, he announced he would not seek a third term and would nominate Vargas as his successor. Some of her legislative priorities for this year include community infrastructure, homelessness, and housing. You know, we are going to be faced with some tough times, right? We're transitioning from the pandemic. Many of our folks are really suffering. Uh, We still have folks who are going to sleep, you know, kids who go to sleep uh, hungry right now, people who don't have shelter. We need to make sure we have more housing. So for me, it's about making sure our families come first, so that they have access to food and the services that we could provide in the county. And there's another first for the supervisors. For the first time in the county's history, two women will be leading the board. Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer was named as vice chair. Alexander Nguyen, KPBS News. Also at the Board of Supes meeting yesterday, more than half a dozen people urged the San Diego County Board of Supervisors to settle a wrongful termination lawsuit against its public defender office. Here's KPBS's Amitha Sharma with more. Ex-Deputy Public Defender Michelle Reynoso is alleging the county fired her because of her off-hours work with Black Lives Matter and for complaining about what she viewed as racist comments made by a supervisor. Last week, a San Diego County jury awarded $2.6 million to Zach Davina, another former public defender who also complained about that supervisor's alleged racist comments. The jury also found that Davina, who is gay, was described discriminated against because of his gender expression. Speakers at the supervisor's meeting said given the verdict in Davina's case, the county should settle Reynoso's case. Here is a speaker who introduced himself as Bobby. Why? Why continue to litigate this matter? Pride? To save face? Please don't waste our money pursuing this. Do the right thing and settle this case. Reynoso's case is scheduled for trial next month. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News. Two San Diego-based companies are getting the backing of the Department of Energy as they work to build better electric vehicle batteries. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says the local funding is part of a broader initiative to beef up the nation's battery supply chain. South A Technologies is pioneering battery tech that could make EVs safer and more powerful. The firm fills the batteries with liquefied gas instead of liquid electrolytes used in current EV batteries. South 8 Technologies' Cyrus Rustamji says their process reduces the battery's fire risk, allows the battery to hold a charge in colder temperatures, and lets the device store more energy. There are a lot of groups out there pushing for so-called solid-state batteries, which, as the name implies, it's a solid material which conducts lithium ions. Uh, but that has many more years to go in terms of development. San Diego-based TIEFAST Energy also landed a $2.8 million grant to pioneer high-density and fast-charging batteries that last a long time. 
A dozen companies around the country got a share of $42 million in federal funding. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. San Diego South Bay is home to about 450,000 people, but it's not home to a public four-year university, at least not yet. KPBS reporter Jacob Baer updates us on efforts to bring a university presence to South County. Right now, Southwestern College is the South Bay's only public option for higher education. That's where Faisal Al-Najjar is now studying dental hygiene. He already has a bachelor's degree in human biology, from UC San Diego, roughly 20 miles north. There was a lot of people that like commuted from South Bay to UCSD. Now imagine telling them they can go to some classes 10 minutes from home instead of having to drive all the way up here. And that idea is becoming reality, starting with San Diego State University's new TV and film studio coming to Chula Vista. And more university expansions could be on the way. Maria Anguiano is a UC regent and a National City native. The South Bay is a very vibrant, uh, dynamic community with a lot of talent, and we want to make sure that UC is at the table. So the UC is starting to look at sites for a satellite campus in South Bay. The city of Chula Vista has already set aside nearly 400 acres near Otay Ranch Town Center with plans for a combined university and technology park. It's been a project that's been ongoing for over 30 years. John McCann is the new mayor of Chula Vista. We're building around it uh, to be able to make sure that the campus has the infrastructure, has the housing uh, to be able to support the university. While the city has set aside land for a university, Anguiano says the exact location for a South Bay UC expansion isn't set in stone. Some campuses have a huge room to grow. Others are going to grow in ways of creating satellite campuses, using opportunistic spaces, partnerships with community college campuses. Wherever a new school goes, Al-Najjar says he hopes the needs of local students are considered. Some might not have a car, some might not just be able to afford the gas, some might not be able to afford the parking permit. McCann says having a university will lead to economic and bi-national growth for Chula Vista. You talk to almost anybody in the community, they're encouraging a university, and we want to make sure that our kids, our grandchildren, have the opportunity to be able to go to college in Chula Vista. Assemblyman David Alvarez represents most of the South Bay. He says many South County students end up studying and working outside of the region they grew up in. A university will keep them closer to home. So we have land, however, what we need now is the investment to actually build. A South Bay satellite campus can also help the UC system meet its goal of adding up to 33,000 more students by 2030. We have way too many students that are qualified that can't get in. Richard Lieb is the chair of the UC Board of Regents. He also lives in San Diego County. And we want to be able to provide education to those and access to those because we know that when somebody goes to the University of California, they come out really in a much better position. The first step is a tour of the proposed sites with UC San Diego Chancellor Pradeep Kosla, who will have to make the proposal for a satellite campus. I don't know how long it will take to actually have an open you know, an open area, an open campus, but I do know that the chancellor has made a commitment to us that it's something that he definitely wants. Groundbreaking for SDSU's new studio is expected to happen this year. Alvarez helped to secure funding for the project and has big goals for the long-term future. Five, seven, ten years after you've got several programs running, 
perhaps this becomes its own institution because it's been, um, there's been growth, there's enough attraction there, and, 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 and we decide, you know, this should be a new state university of some sort. UC alum Al Najjar has one request for universities that come to South County. It should really be modeled after what I would say Southwestern has offered me, which was the smaller classes, more um, intimate connection with the professor, like they actually know you. UC officials plan to do their South Bay site tour in the first quarter of this year. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Coming up, we'll talk about the KPBS One Book, One San Diego selection for teens. We'll have that and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Over the last 30 years, obesity has more than doubled in young children. And the American Academy of Pediatrics is presenting comprehensive strategies that stress early interventions, such as nutrition-based treatments, counseling and medication, or surgery for teens. The idea is to not take a wait-and-see approach anymore. Ready Children's Hospital Dr. Jeffrey Schwimmer says, parents should expect their kids to be screened for health conditions caused or made worse by obesity. Parents can anticipate that their children are more likely to have screening for these health conditions, diabetes, fatty liver disease, high cholesterol, uh, at age nine or 10. It's still unclear how insurance companies will react to these recommendations in their coverage plans. The latest KPBS One Book, One San Diego selection for teens is The Magic Fish. It's a graphic novel by writer and illustrator Trung Lee Nguyen, also known as Trungles. It's about a second-generation Vietnamese-American teenager who uses fairy tales to help his mother learn English. Nguyen spoke with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans about the book. So this book is told primarily through the perspective of Tian, a teenager, and his mother living and working in the United States. Can you tell us a little about who this family is? Sure. So I based a lot of um, the characters in The Magic Fish on the experiences of my own family that I observed kind of growing up in the United States and learning English and learning the culture alongside them as well. And so it's a family that um, whose dynamics are kind of based on what I observed both in my own family and in other immigrant families that I grew up around. And Tian is gay, and he struggles with coming out to his family. He says that he doesn't know the word in Vietnamese. Can you talk about the importance of language in this story? Yes, absolutely. Um, this was a struggle that I also had growing up trying to articulate my 
sexuality to my parents when I was growing up. We didn't share a language and a or share a vocabulary to discuss these things. Um, and so it was one of those uh, situations where I do remember going to the library and trying to find language resources to be able to articulate the exact things that I wanted to tell my parents. And I think I was really encouraged to explore this in The Magic Fish, because when it comes to describing sexuality, when it comes to describing gender and queerness, the ways that we talk about these things, the words that we use kind of change all of the time. They're dependent on where we find ourselves in time and regionally as well. And so for The Magic Fish, I think the um, continued impetus for me to want to tell this precise type of story is that even within queer communities, we we shift in the ways that we describe ourselves and we kind of have to offer each other a little bit of grace um, around the language through which we find ourselves, basically. So I, I think exploring language, both within the context of culture and within the context of very practical day-to-day -day existence, um, that was something I was kind of interested in exploring in The Magic Fish. Now, there are several fairy tales told inside of the book. Some of them are a retelling of the Cinderella story and another of the Little Mermaid. Can you tell me about your use of fairy tales in this story and why those stories? Sure. I think the the seed of this project was I had always wanted to retell the Vietnamese Cinderella as I had heard it growing up because that was a story that was familiar to my parents and I have a lot of strong warm sentimental feelings about it and so I'd always wanted to take it on as a project and originally the magic fish was just supposed to be a bunch of Cinderella stories kind of put together and then I had to figure out what these stories meant to me and why I was drawn to Cinderella stories and stories about transition um, in these ways. And so I kind of started with the Vietnamese Cinderella, and then I um, told another Cinderella story as a point of comparison for readers to kind of give them the sense that even though stories might be very similar, they have different priorities depending on who's telling the story. And then um, transitioning from those two stories into The Little Mermaid felt very natural for me because even though The Little Mermaid is not strictly a Cinderella story, it is a story about giving up the things that are familiar to you in order to be with the people that you love and to have the life that you want for yourself. And that's something that I find to be really resonant as an immigrant, but The Little Mermaid is also a queer allegory um, in the iteration that we best understand it through Hans Christian Andersen. It was sort of a love letter. And so all of these themes sort of coming together um, wasn't something that I had intended at the very beginning, but reaching in and exploring why those themes were really resonant with me really helped me tether the important elements of the fairy tales together um, within the context of the overarching story in The Magic Fish. And when you say there's a Vietnamese Cinderella, as an immigrant, was it surprising that every culture has seems to have a version of these same fairy tales? Yeah, when I was a kid, I was really surprised. I was like, oh, there's this wonderful um, kind of underlying story archetype that manages to find its way across different cultures. And I realized that the Cinderella story wasn't the only one. There are a lot of really common, you know, fairy stories and common tropes that show up from culture to culture. And I think a part of my attraction to fairy stories is that they're so organic. They they feel like they're, they're people almost. I love the notion that a fairy tale is something that 
that can exist in multiple places or that it moves from place to place and it changes clothes depending on the culture in which it finds itself and it changes its priorities. And so fairy tales illuminated the notion that stories are more about the storyteller and that even though the content of the story might be really similar from place to place, depending on who's telling the story, you get a sense for that person's priorities and their hopes and their fears and their dreams and all of those things highlight to me that storytelling is a communal activity. It's it's a shared experience. That was Trung Lee Nguyen, author of The Magic Fish, speaking with KPBS's Julia Dixon-Evans. For more about KPBS's One Book, One San Diego, go to kpbs.org. And before you go, there's still time to call us up and tell us your New Year's resolutions. You can share your 2023 goals by calling us at 619-452-0228 and leaving a voicemail. You can also visit www.kpbs.org goals and tell us there. We look forward to hearing what you have in store for the new year. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Wednesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.